Keycard presents Back Issue Bloodbath with your hosts, Andrew Young and Petula Neal. What could make a serial killer on the loose and people living in fear that much scarier? Add the mother of all winter storms to the equation and you've got yourself some southern fried noir in winter. Welcome to Back Issue Bloodbath. I'm Andrew Young. I'm Batula Neal. And this week on the show, we're looking at one of my favorite series of the past few years, That Texas Blood, which has had three story arcs that have come out thus far. And we're going to be looking at the most recent story arc, issues 14 to 19 of the series, The Snow Falls Endlessly in Wonderland. Now, a little bit of backstory on this series, of course, is written by uh, Chris Condon, with art by Jacob Phillips, of course, the son of Sean Phillips. So he's of good pedigree, as they say. And where the series started out and where it's gone to now is very interesting to me, because when it started out, it was very much like a no country for old men kind of let's follow somebody who may or may not be a killer or may or may not end up killing because of a situation and an aging lawman who's trying to get to the bottom of it. It had that vibe the entire time throughout the first story. And then the second story, Sheriff Joe Bob becomes the main character and it all becomes him telling a story from the late seventies. And of course that was my favorite book of 2021. I stated it on geek Hard, talked about it on the show. And now the series is a comic that takes place within the past and looks at the past stories of Sheriff Joe Bob Coates. And, uh, and so this story takes place in the winter of 92, January 92. The mother of all storms is about to pass through Texas. And it just so happens that the infamous Red Queen Killer has now made its way into Ambrose County. So you got this huge storm, you got worrying about keeping people safe, but at the same time, the sheriff and the rest of the uh, sheriff's department have got to track down this killer, and the killer is much closer than they think. So, Batula, what were your thoughts first cracking the story open? Loved it, first <laughs> of all. Some of the back matter they have, and I forget which issue it is. I think it's the one with my favorite cover. Yeah, 16. They talk about... Stephen King as like influence and definitely I realize that's what I like about it. Even the fact that these are kind of arcs within a series. Some of my favorite Stephen King stuff is more like the short stories or the like novellas, night shift, that nightmares and dreamscapes, that kind of thing. Because one of the things that Stephen King was great at was making sort of really grounded horror where the monsters weren't always like actual monsters. It wasn't always possessed cars. Sometimes it was just people, Mm. but also adding bad weather as Canadians. Like I always have that moment when we have a really bad snowstorm where I think if someone were to break in, would I run outside? Like we know going upstairs to hide is always like the worst idea. You're going to get murdered in your bathtub. And also you're making it easy for them for cleanup. However, if you've lived in, any place that gets a lot of snow or a place like Texas where they're probably not prepared for a lot of snow. That's where you add this element of what are they going to do when the killer comes and corners them in the house? Because 
if you are bleeding, uh, have sustained or are in the process of sustaining multiple stab wounds and bleeding out, snow's not your friend. Like a little bit, maybe for preserving hacked off bits. That's really the only benefit. Yeah. Might be able to like pack a finger up in a snowball. But other than that, (laughs) I think the kind of very grounded looming dread of this was what I liked. It wasn't like some of our favorite things. It's more like monsters or demons. This is just like someone coming for you and it's winter out. So you're damned if you do and you're damned if you run. Yeah, no, totally. And this story begins with a murder, of course. You get to see the Red Queen killer do a brutal, vicious murder at the beginning of this story. And we find out more about this young woman who's been killed throughout the rest of the story, that she was a lawyer, that she went and got her schooling in Los Angeles, that she came back to Ambrose County because she wanted to make a difference. All these different things. It kind of had that vibe of like, you know how... With, with Twin Peaks, we found out more and more about the victim throughout time. Like, it's like she's a character without really ever having too many pages in this book. And it's kind of like held up as like this, you know, very much like an angel was killed in a sense sort of thing. It's like this was a really good person who got killed. So you feel really bad for it. And then you see how it affects the people around each other while they're still dealing with this this killer and then you have, of course, one of the major perspectives from the story, and that is from the police secretary, Lou, who this hits her hard because she knew the girl when she was young and she knew the family. And when the girl's mother died, she actually came and helped out with the family and everything like that. So she's dealing with that grief. And at the same time, she has to deal with the phones of the people, you know, the, uh, you know, the storm. So a lot of people are calling her about the storm. But then also, she's the first person to find out that the Red Queen Killer is in town because the Red Queen Killer leaves a souvenir on the front of the station steps, that being a chess piece of the Queen covered in blood. And so she's got so much weight on her, but she she's like the strongest character in this story because the amount of shit she goes through in this story, mm-hmm. and even physically in the back half, and still comes out swinging. It's just like... Oh, and the calls from the campaign that's taking advantage of everything that's going on to run a trashy campaign against the sheriff. Yeah, right, because there's a hotshot guy in town who's basically using something that happened in the sheriff's past while on the job to try to drum up enough interest in voting for him and is holding a big rally in the middle of this snowstorm where people could get hurt. Yeah, a lot of moving factors there, and Lou is like stuck in the middle of it and is really affected by all of it. And we really get to see a lot of great facets of her character. And then we've got Joe Bob, who I know this is your introduction to the series, but he's always been kind of like an aw shucks, good guy at heart sort of thing, goes on a hunch, never automatically counts somebody out by how they look or how they act, and is willing to stand up against other authority if he doesn't think it's right. So he's like, he's a pretty good guy. And I don't know about you, but reading this book, uh, I think Tim Rozon would do a good job playing Joe Bob. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Or very much in the vein of uh, Charlie Dad from Twilight, like that actor. It's very hot sheriff dad with a mustache, <laughs> kind of. 
again, it's just another form of copaganda, kids. Like, recognize yeah. it. Like, your small town sheriff, odds are, not going to be this, like, unassuming. Not going to be a hunky guy with a heart of yeah. gold. No, yeah. not. But his hair, like, occasionally, they don't do a lot with him, but, like, in the art. Oh, it's Billy Burke is that actor. But, yes, definitely, like, give me daddy, but make it a little grizzled. That is... <laughs> a lot of great casting options for this uh sheriff and his mustache yeah definitely he'd have to have the mustache whatever era they do it in i don't care if they update it move it forward move it back i need that stash he's just he's looking great the distractions for him getting in the way of course is this campaign against him and the fact that they're using this thing from his past where basically his predecessor unfortunately died in his arms because there were problems between the old sheriff and the old sheriff's brother, which led to a very bloody murder-suicide in the middle of the town square, which Joe Bob was right there for, and people blame him for when really there was nothing he could have done in that situation. But he still blamed himself for that, and that is getting in the way of him dealing with the two major things at hand, the storm and the killer on the loose, and you can really see that he's coming up from behind on this. There's a number of times in this story where he's almost at the right place at the right time, but isn't. And because of that, bad things happen. Also, listener, not making a political statement about Texas or guns. That being said, aren't we all glad that not everyone has easy access to firearms when you have beef with family? Yeah. Where, you know, just... It's around that time of year, depending on when you put this one up. It's going up at the beginning of January. There you go. So are you glad, listener, that you didn't just have access to a firearm uh, after at least one of your family gatherings or meals? That you had to either just maybe offend someone for a really long time, use your words to hurt someone, as opposed to, I don't know, just blowing a hole through the middle of your brother. That's all. That's all I'm saying. It's like, yes. It's it's people that kill people, but people have bad days. Yeah. And I'm glad on all my bad days and on other people's bad days where they may or may not rightly think I perhaps in some way offended them. Perhaps you listener, if you're very pro firearm, I'm glad that somebody who has easy access to me doesn't just have a gun right next to them when they're upset. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's tough, tough look for a guy, but it's like, what are you going to do? It's Texas. Like, It's, it's yeah, exactly. It family is Texas. will end with bullets sometimes. And, and so people trying to hold him accountable for those yeah. actions is totally unfair, especially since the thing happens within a moment. Yeah. If he had drawn quick on his boss's brother and <laughs> filled him full of lead, he would still be in the same situation, if not actually would have possibly lost his job because yeah. it was the sheriff's brother, even though he, you know, in the rear view came to find out. What amazes me about this particular story is that 90% of it takes place in the sheriff's office. Like when you're reading it, most of it happens with the sheriff's office. Most of the story is two to three people sitting around talking, yet it is so tense. You are getting flashbacks and you are getting, yeah, but you're right. Like most of the meat of what's happening now currently. And definitely when Lou leaves to go home, that's when I have my stereotypical person of color yelling at the screen moment <laughs> as I read these digitally 
literally yelling at my screen. So you, sir, literally did what police normally don't do, which is tell people right away that there's a killer on the loose. I'm not looking at you, Nova Scotia, a little bit. And because you wanted to make sure everyone is safe. But then you let your office manager leave alone in the middle of a snowstorm to go home. Love this for you. And now, you know the killer has been to your office. They could be watching. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. At first, she doesn't go home right away. And because of that, I think, oh, everything, okay, maybe it'll be okay. Because she goes to the father of the deceased uh, young woman. And she's, you know, tending to him and helping him through stuff. When she does find him, he freaking has injured himself and is bleeding out because he went back to work and he was all reckless and freaking hurt himself. And so she's helping to tend him. And so that entire time, I'm like, okay, well, they're together. Everything's fine. As soon as she suggests, hey, let's go back to my place, have a nice home-cooked meal, I was like, oh, shit. Okay. The killer's got to be at her house. That's got to be her house where the killer is. Yeah. Sure enough. But then, yeah, that's when we get the exciting kind of, you know, horror thriller third act of that issue that's just all over the house and then out in the hills and everything like that. And the one thing I got to say about this book, and it's a testament to Jacob Phillips' art, and of course, Chris Congdon, who has experience in film and television with his pacing. This is such a cinematic book. Yes. Like I'm reading this book, seeing it in my head as like seeing it as a movie, just coming off the page. Part of me is like, I want to see this film. And then the other parts of me are like, I don't need to see a film because they did such a good job with the book. Exactly. All the yeah. angles are covered. The close ups are perfect. The big splash pages and wide shots are perfect. It is just such a beautiful book. And yeah, it does remind me of like a, uh, except for this being a winter, but of a like no country for old men or a hell or high water, that kind of grizzled cop, an uneasy situation sort of thing with an actual, this time an actual straight up villain in the killer. And then just a bunch of kind of shades of gray people throughout the entire book. Yeah, because I didn't read the whole series like you did. So I'm just coming in. I know. But that's I the, back, that, I, I just want to jump in for more a second. More info about the killer. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to jump in for a second and say that's the beauty of this book is that you really, like I knew that I, you could just pick up this book and enjoy it as its own because you don't have to read previous arcs to get what's going on in the moment. And that's what's great because this is just kind of old timey, you know, relentless killer, but everybody else is so fleshed out including to your earlier point the first victim that we meet in this arc that you're doing what so many people wish the media would do <laughs> we're humanizing the victims and the potential victims the killer's just a killer like who cares what their motivations are this is somebody who is hell-bent on ending lives violently for their own enjoyment I'm glad I don't spend a lot of time learning about them in this arc. I want to spend time with these people and have, especially in that back third, it's a series of like jump scares and looming dread as we had to a, a very bloody climax. And again, using snow, they can do so much without having to do too much detail. If you're drawing in comics, like a lot of blood and gore in like a cityscape or often like, you know, fight in a warehouse, fight in some sort of alley. It's like, how can I see the viscera? 
here they've given themselves this beautiful black canvas of snow <laughs> to just spatter blood across. And it's great. Let's talk a little bit about the look of the Red Queen Killer. The choice with the Red Queen Killer in this is that we only get to hear him talk twice on the phone. And he's pretty much just being menacing and conniving and scary. And when it comes to the look of him, we never see the face of the killer. When he doesn't have his mask on, we see the back of his head. We see him in shadow. As soon as he puts that mask on, which is like a balaclava, but with a big, like, Cheshire cat grin and big cat's eyes sort of thing, like just kind of like a scary Halloween mask type thing. Yeah, dead mouse meets a jacket lantern, basically. There you go. That's yeah. perfect. That's perfect. And so that's the face that's coming at you this time. And even at the times when Lou fights him off and knocks him out and everything like that, it's not like the face gets revealed or anything like that. And at the very end, during the, the big uh, climax, we don't see his face there either. So he is always just this menacing evil. There is, as you mentioned, there's no humanity given to him. And that's, that's what makes it perfect because that kind of gives it like almost like Michael Myers in the first Halloween movie type thing. This, this unstoppable evil that's coming towards you absolutely and whenever i read something like this where you have a killer like that i always think well there could be another one or yeah. a copycat or a partner or even it could have been multiple people the whole time because you don't see the face so it's a great writing choice as well especially for a comic because you don't have to fill in those gaps and mm -hmm. leave it open if you want to extend it yeah and like as I said, this story takes place in January of 92, so they take advantage of the situation at that time, which makes the storytelling even tighter. They're the only thing that is in this small town, like in this Ambrose County, that people can rely on to get information is the radio station. It hasn't been like that for decades, but back then, you wanted to know what was going on in your town like during a big storm, and you don't have like local news. Like The big city has the local news. You turn on the radio. And so that like the radio played a big part in this. And the fact that, of course, there's no like cell phones are not common or anything like that. They're, the isolation is 10 times worse, like 10 times. Like, I feel bad for horror writers who are writing in the modern era because yeah. there's so many things you have to try to get out and say, well, no, you can't use that. But how do we smartly write that out here back here in the 90s? You know, it's very much like landline radio tv that's it that's all you got and they take full advantage of it in this story yeah technology take it the way but it also give it because there's more and more stories out there where they take advantage of the fact that people are constantly just broadcasting where they are or getting True, tagged yeah. in places or getting recognized heck even Harry Potter, how did Sirius recognize Gabbers from a family picture on a Weasley family trip? So put yourself on blast. You might get blasted. That's, I guess, the lesson from that. But yeah, it does make it a lot more difficult to have the, you know, I can't get to warn this person situation. You always have to go remote somewhere with no bars. Perhaps a, a Rogers customer in this past summer. That would have been a great, like... Yeah. Scenario to put a horror situation in during a nationwide outage. Yeah. Yeah. That would be. Yeah. Yeah. But thankfully, because it's in 1992, they don't have to deal with such conventions. They can easily be like storm, just the radio landlines. That's it. And yeah, they do a great job with it.
I just really love the fact that, again, this is your first time reading it, but I love the fact that this book has evolved, that Chris Condon realized it's like, okay, I like where this story's going and the fans like where it's going, so let's take it there. Because originally it was modern day, it was an old sheriff, he wasn't the only main character, then it became his book from his perspective and they kind of went back into the past now they've kind of cemented themselves in the past with a really good supporting cast as well. So they're actually now in a position that they could go anywhere next year because they do it once, like one story arc per year. And they could go anywhere in the 2023 story arc, which I think is just amazing. And if you are like a fan of crime, crime comics, if you're a fan of, say, like the Brubaker Phillips stuff and stuff like that, this is a series you have to check out because there's so much detail in the characters and in the situations and so much thought put into the logic of the story. It is just, it makes for a very compelling read. Yeah. Or even if you like OG Stephen King, Looming Dread comes to a small town during bad weather. There this you go. This is definitely in your wheelhouse. Yeah. So there we go. I, it's, Across the board here, we're given this high praise. We've compared it to Ed Brubaker and Stephen King. So what more do you want? You know, <laughs> the book comes out in trade this month. So you can definitely pick it up and volumes one and two of that Texas blood are available, but volume three of that Texas blood, the snow falls endlessly in wonderland comes out this month. I suggest you pick it up because it is a damn good read. Well, Petula, we've come to the end of another episode of Back Issue Bloodbath. Where can people find you? On Twitter at Obesacantawit, O-B-E-S-A-C-A-N-T-A-V-A-T, and Hive at Inatif.com and here with you. And, of course, you can find everything I do over at geekardshow.com. Follow me on Twitter at Geekard. Follow this very show on Facebook at Back Issue Bloodbath, where we post a new episode every week. And if you want to make sure you don't miss an episode... Make sure you subscribe to us on your podcasting platform of choice because it helps with the analytics and it helps make sure you don't miss an episode because we don't want you to miss one because we're here for you. Well, at least for your comic entertainment. This has been Back to Your Bloodbath. I've been Andrew Young. I've been Petulio. Have yourself a good... <laughs>